Okay, we're on the record. The story begins. All right. Speak politely. Well, yeah, what you say will can and will be used to John will hold against you. <laughs> oh, don't don't we usually say in the court of divine law? The court of the divine law. Okay. We're continuing part two of chapter thirty-seven. Page four hundred and twelve. <clears throat> last time, last week, we began to explore how we make this world divine. God's vision for humanity is to dwell with them. He doesn't want us to leave the world to go to heaven, just to get an experience. He wants us to bring heaven down to earth and really just to bring him down to earth um, and create an experience, a divine experience. He's not looking for us to run away to a divine experience. He's looking for us to create a divine experience. And the way we create, and, and ultimately this is what the messianic era is all about, a divine experience, God dwelling in this world the world knowing God intimately. And it starts with what the actions that we do during exile right now. The mitzvahs we do have an incredible impact in this world that we don't yet see. We will see when the messianic era arrives. In fact, our actions are what bring the messianic era. And we explained last time that when we do mitzvahs, when we study Torah, the klipa with which we're doing that mitzvah becomes elevated, right? So you put on tefillin, and now that hide, that leather, that cow was just klipa, was just a piece of physical, now it became something that hosts God. When you light the Shabbos candles, that physical wax is hosting God. We're refining the klipa. And that's with every mitzvah we do, every action mitzvah we do, with the exception of mitzvahs that come about through sin. That doesn't work, right? I can't say, oh, if I eat on Yom Kippur, it's going to give me the energy to pray. <laughs> it, won't, it won't work. It's not going to elevate the food, right? Or if I eat this thing that's not kosher, it's going to give me the energy to study Torah. It, that, in that situation, it won't work. So, so long as it's not a mitzvah that comes about through a sin through an Avera. Our actions in mitzvahs elevates the physical world. But in this part of the chapter on page 412, we take it to a whole new level. We're not just elevating the physical world. We're actually elevating the animal soul. Let's take a look on the top of 412. All the way on top. And not only is the object's energy elevated when a mitzvah is observed, the physical item in which we're doing the mitzvah with, but the energizing animal soul found in the limbs of the person observing the mitzvah is also elevated. When we put on tefillin, it's not only the tefillin that's elevated, but it's our arm that's elevated and our head that's elevated, the soul that energizes that. Since the animal soul, too, was immersed in the act, 
as we'll learn, as we learned in chapter 35. And it's elevated from the klipas noga, that type of klipa that um, can be refined and becomes absorbed in the holiness of the mitzvah, which is God's will. And the animal's soul sense of separateness is dissolved into the blessed infinite light. When we do a mitzvah, we're not just elevating our surroundings, we're elevating ourselves. Your animal soul is becoming more divine, more refined. Your animal soul is getting more clarity just by doing a mitzvah. It's not just sustaining our divine soul and inspiring us, but it's actually refining our animal soul. It's actually fulfilling our purpose. But he takes us to the next level. It's more than that. This is the case not only through actions, because actions, you know, that's your animal soul's acting, right? So it kind of makes sense. Your divine soul is your, you know, when you're inspired, that's more of your divine soul. When you're physically moving, that's your animal soul. Your animal soul is what enables you to physically exist. So it would make sense that when you do a physical action for something divine, now that animal soul is engaged in something divine, something holy. But he takes it to the next level. It's not only the case with action, it's the case with speech as well. Uh, let's look at the, the middle paragraph on 412, the, the second bold paragraph. Even the mitzvahs of reading the Shema, Torah study, prayer, right? Mitzvahs that are, um, that, that require speech, not so much action, not so much behavior. Well, they don't involve a substantive physical action with an object which was previously under the control of Kalipas Noga, nevertheless, there's at least some minimal level of physical activity in moving the lips as you recite the word. That's why, by the way, according to Halacha, when praying, when studying Torah, the words need to be physically, literally articulated. It's not sufficient just to sight read. I was just about to ask that, actually. This is, this is the inner reason why. This is the deeper dimension why, you know, I'm, it, it's just, it's cool to see how understanding the spiritual mechanics of Judaism deepens our appreciation of Jewish law, of halacha. So, because so we, yeah, oh, yeah. sorry, I, I was going to say, so um, this is only this is saying that you only have to move the lips because like when we do uh, the Shemona Esrei, at least in the Siddur, it says we should actually say it so that we're just barely audible i that that's the ideal ideal that it should be it should be all audible to oneself the words have to actually be said so that's all the time anytime you're davening you should not yeah. only move lips but also be audible at least yeah. to yourself yeah it has to actually be audible yeah. um it's incredible to see how this spiritual understanding of what's going on deepens our understanding and our appreciation of halakha of why halacha maintains that we need to verbally articulate the words. It actually has to become physically part of us. When we physically articulate the words, we're engaging the animal soul. If we don't physically articulate the words, then we're just engaging the divine soul, right? 
So let's say you appreciated the meaning of davening, right? You appreciated the words themselves. The prayers really spoke to you, but you didn't physically articulate them. So now your divine soul is inspired, but you know what it did to you? It didn't, <laughs> right? Like, I, I think I told this story before, but it, I'll say it again, Rabbi Gordon, blessed memory from Los Angeles, his father was a hospital chaplain in New Jersey. He would go around offering Jews the opportunity in the hospital to put on tefillin. And one Jew respectfully declined. He said, no, thank you, Rabbi. I am Jewish in my heart. So he said, that's why you keep having to go back to the cardiologist. You have to spread it out. <laughs> and it's the same thing with davening. It's not enough just to feel the davening, which that's an important part of it. But ultimately, it has to be expressed physically. It has to physically impact us. Because this is the purpose in which why we were created in the first place. To physically refine, to, to, to bring that divine soul, so it influences our animal soul, even physically. I also find that it has the side benefit of uh, disallowing me to do the uh, speed reading dynamics class on the Hebrew, because you have to like articulate everything. everything. <laughs> I'm going to through it. Right, right. And that makes sense. It also keeps us focused. There are definitely side benefits to it, for sure. For sure. But ultimately, it's, there is a certain purpose that's fulfilled in the divine soul actually expressing itself through us physically. And the reason is, it's actually over here on page 413, the bold paragraph on top. It's the second paragraph on the page. For it's impossible for the divine soul to express itself through verbal articulation via the, via the physical lips, mouth, tongue, and teeth, unless the divine soul acts through the medium of the energizing animal soul, right? The reason why it engages the animal soul is because if you're going to physically talk, if you're physically moving, if you're physically enunciating the words, that means you're, you're praying, so your divine soul's certainly involved. But now you're engaging that animal soul. Now it's more involved. Which is really the purpose, right? God sends our divine soul down to this world as a shliach, as a representative, as an ambassador, to bring the warmth of Judaism to the animal soul. And the divine soul says to the animal soul, hey, did you get a chance to put on filling today yet? And the animal soul says, eh, come on, buddy, let's do it. Right? Just like that annoying Chabad rabbi. That's what the divine soul is doing to, to, to our animal souls. And it's trying to get us to David, to physically articulate the words, to physically engage in this relationship with God. But this is, a, this is the incredible part here. The middle of the page, 413, bold paragraph. And the louder you speak, the more you enter and immerse your energizing animal soul into those words. Let that sink in for a second. The more energy we put into our Torah study, into our prayer, the more the animal soul is engaged. 
in this relationship with God. If you go to a library, let's say um, BC, before COVID, <laughs> before COVID, BCE, before the COVID era, you were to go to a, a public library, go to the Pleasanton Public Library, or go to a huge library, go to the, the, the any big library. It's very quiet inside, right? It's very quiet. Nobody's, everybody's reading quietly, respectfully. It's a library, right? Everybody knows you don't talk in the library. You know, they say those, the, the joke with the, the guy visiting from Helm. Helm is that town where, uh, it's funny, if I wasn't being PC, I would say a guy from Poland, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just to, uh, visiting from Helm, and he goes into a library and says, I'd like to order a burger and fries. And the librarian says, sir, this is a library. So he says, oh, I'd like to order a burger and fries, right? Everybody knows, <laughs> everybody knows in the library, we don't make noise. But so just, go to just a Jewish- No, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I was just curious. I was just curious how many of us grew up with those books. You know, the, 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 the wise men, uh, the, I'm forgetting the complete name of it, but I remember growing up, uh, we had like the complete series of the, the, the rabbi from Chelm visited whatever, right? Or the rabbi, it was just a series of books. Right. right. Josh, you might be too young. I don't know. Have you, have you seen and read them? I haven't read them. I've seen them. I mean, I, you know, the tale has been passed down. <laughs> Has anybody else read the series or any of them books? <laughs> I saw a couple of them at Frumas, but those are the only ones I saw. Right. So you go to the library and it's quiet. But go to you go to a yeshiva. Go to a Beit Midrash. Place of study. Right? A yeshiva that can have dozens of people in it. A kolal. Right? It's a study house that can have dozens of people at a time learning. And if you're not used to it, it can be very disruptive. It's not quiet. There's the same amount of books as a library might have. And people are learning in pairs very loudly with energy, with passion. It's not like a library where shh, shh, because the more we engage ourselves, the more energy we put in, in, into it, the more energy we exert in our Torah studies, the more energy we exert in our prayers, the more engaged the animal soul is. At a minimum, this is physically articulating the words. Now, putting in more energy doesn't just have to be physical energy. It can be more uh, mental and emotional energy as well, more kavana. It's known that the Rabbi Dover of uh, um, the son of the author of the Tanya, known as the Mittler Rebbe. It's known that when he would daven, he was very quiet. The Alter Rebbe, when he would daven, was like a, a powerhouse. He had a lot of energy, a lot of passion. He used to get very fired up. But his son had a different style. Very quiet. Would be very still. Wouldn't be moving too much. 
very still. There was a very, there was a lot of energy and passion there, but it was very calm. But there was so much energy there. He would be sweating. His strimal, the strimal is the fur hat that Hasidim wears. So he used to wear a strimal. His strimal was dripping from sweat. He put in a lot of energy. It wasn't just yelling and screaming, but there was a lot of heart and soul put into it. It's known that when the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, 14th, 13th century Kabbalist, used to study Torah, he used to have to change his clothing afterwards. He was drenched from sweat. Because the idea is, the more energy and passion we invest in it, in our Torah study or in our prayers, the more the animal soul is engaged. But there's also a side benefit to this. What's the side benefit that he mentions here? Does anybody remember? Who doesn't like to take a refreshing shower after a good Torah study? There we go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of the side benefits is because we've refined the klipa, because we've put in so much energy, we're less prone to forgetting what we've studied. Let's take a look on um, the bottom of 413, the last paragraph. All the way in the bottom of 413, and this is also stressed by the teaching of our sages of blessed memory, which refers to the importance of studying Torah aloud. It says, Beruria was a lady who's mentioned in the Talmud quite often, came across a disciple who was learning, sorry, it wasn't the, yeah, who was learning his traditions in a whisper. He was learning Torah quietly. She, next page, rebuked him saying to him, isn't it written, ordered in all things and retained? If it's ordered in those 248 limbs of yours, in other words, if you invest your whole heart and soul, your whole body in it, it will be retained, and if not, it won't be retained. The message here is that your Torah will be retained and remembered if your body is engaged when studying it. And here's the reason. For the tendency of forgetfulness is rooted in the klipa of the body and the energizing soul, right? But the more engaged we are, the more we're refining those klipas, the less prone to forgetting we are, we become. Make sense? So there is that side benefit. The trick to remembering what we've studied, the Torah study that we've, that we've learned, the trick to remembering it is not just to read it and not just to um, glance at it, but really put our energy in it. Because that refines the klipa that inspires the animal soul. There's less klipa now. If there's less klipa, there's less forgetting. Now, where was I? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, some this, the animal soul seems like it's, you're dealing with a five-year-old in that uh, you get him a, you get a five-year-old interested in something, I don't want to do that. 
But if you get them interested, then all of a sudden there's this incredible energy. And then if you don't pay attention to them, then they're not, they're wandering off again. It's okay, great analogy. Great analogy. You constantly have to be on your game to engage it, right? A tzaddik is somebody who would have, who their five-year-old is very mature. <laughs> That's what a tzaddik basically is. Very mature five-year-old who just gets it and just is interested, right? But for most of us, regular folk, a five-year-old is a great analogy. I like it. And then for the Russia, the five-year-old is telling you where to go and what to do, and you're listening. <laughs> I like that analogy. That's great. Very good. Very, very good. Okay. So we said so far, when we engage the animal soul, we're not just refining the physical um, item in which we're, with we're doing the mitzvah. We're engaging the animal soul itself. And this is the case not only when it's physically, um, when it's behaviorally engaged in mitzvahs, but even when it's verbally engaged. The more energy and passion we put into it, the more it's engaged, the less klipa there is, the more we remember, and the more God becomes a real part of us. But now we're going to take it again to the next level. There's more, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Take it to the next level, page 414, all the way on the bottom. Right, the more energy you put in, the more the divine soul was refined, right? But let's take a step back. Where did you get that energy from? Where did you get that energy from? Dinner. From dinner, right? Before you came to the Tanya class and you're studying with passion, with fervor, so now you're engaging the animal soul, but you got that energy from dinner, right? Let's, so now your dinner becomes elevated. Didn't you elevate it when you said the brachas? That too, that too. That's also part of it, right? It's more... More pieces to the train. Drag, keep dragging things along with you, right? As you're elevating things. Take, let's take a look on the bottom of 414, all the way on the bottom. And yet another point is that the energizing animal soul's power invested in the spoken words of Torah study or prayer, etc., or in practical commandments has been completely nourished and sustained by the blood, which is from Klipas Noga itself, page 415. This nourishment of the blood being from all the food and drink that you ate and drank, which entered your body and became under the ruling, its ruling, a spiritual force of the klipa and became the source of nourishment. You eat, that food becomes your blood, that blood becomes your energy, that energy sustains your ability to study Torah, to daven, to pray, to do mitzvahs. Now that food became holy. Now that food is, is facilitating the divine presence. Now, the truth is, it's not just with food. What about the table that you ate on? Can't eat without a table, right? What about the lights in the room? And same thing right now, we're studying Torah, your computer. 
is now servicing God. It's housing the divine. There's actually a tradition, very interesting tradition. You, um, you don't actually, practically you don't see it being done too often, I don't think. But it is quoted in um, ancient literature, Jewish literature, the tradition to take the shtender, which is the lectern that one's prayed and studied Torah with, use that wood for one's coffin. And the reason is because it's holy. And if it's holy because you studied Torah and, and prayed with it, why not use it as kind of an advocate for yourself <laughs> to take with you to the next world? Hopefully you had a reasonable size tender. <laughs> Hopefully you had a reasonable size tender and it, and it soaked in a lot of uh, good things. <laughs> right. Um, but but the the point is the reason why I mention this is because it literally becomes a a vehicle to facilitate the divine will. It's housing God. There's a couple of stories that I just read today that are very relevant to this. These are some great stories. I'll tell you story number one. Rabbi Shmuel of Lubavitch, known as the Rebbe Maharash. He was the fourth Rebbe of the Chabad uh, Rebbe leadership. So there were seven altogether. He was number four. Lived in the town of Lubavitch, and there was a Chassid of his who lived in a neighboring town who used to love davening. He was very much inspired by prayer. And he would daven for many, many hours. He would daven slowly. He would focus. He was very into it. And there was one particular day he wasn't feeling well. He fainted. Collapsed. They were able to revive him and get him back on his feet. He was fine, at least short term. And one of his friends decided, you know what? You're not walking home alone. I'm going to walk you home. And he's supporting him on the way home. As he shows up to his home, his wife is there. and says, what's going on? The chassid says, nothing. Right? Didn't want to make a big deal out of it. The friend says, it's not nothing. He's not feeling well. He fainted. His wife says, okay, we got to get to a doctor. No, no, no doctor. No doctor. No, no, you're going to the doctor. He goes to the doctor and the doctor instructs him to do something that was very much out of his comfort zone. To us, it may not seem like a big deal. <laughs> like, what? But to him, it was so much out of his comfort zone. Just to give perspective here. The doctor said, every single morning before you pray, you need to have a bagel with butter. And that was very much out of his comfort zone. He was very uncomfortable eating a formal meal before davening, before prayer. It was something that was really not something he wanted to do. Um, he comes back to Shul the next day and his friend says, what did the doctor tell you? He said, I have to eat 
a bagel with butter before I pray, but not happening. The doctor's not culturally competent. He doesn't get it. I haven't prayed yet. How am I going to sit and have a formal meal before I pray, before I talk to God? So he said, you got to listen to the doctor, man. This is your help. He says, yeah, but the doctor doesn't get, doesn't get it. He doesn't get my situation. He said, you know what? The Rebbe is in the neighboring town. Why don't we go to the Rebbe and ask him what you should do? They traveled to the Rebbe, Rabbi Shmuel of Lubavitch, and the Rebbe tells him, you need to listen to your doctor. He says, but Rebbe, the doctor wants me to eat a bagel with butter before davening. <laughs> and the Rebbe tells him, what is so wrong if your bagel joins you for davening? Isn't that the point? Right, that's the punchline. What is so wrong if your bagel is going to join you for davening? You're elevating that bagel. It's part of your davening now. There's a similar story in a similar vein with one of the wives of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's. Her name was Rebetzin Rivka. And she was very careful about not eating before davening. It was something that she was very careful about. But she fell ill. And her doctor instructed her that she needs to eat very early in the morning. Super early in the morning. I don't know what time it was, but she had to eat very early. So she said, okay, I'm going to listen to the doctor. But she decided she's going to outsmart the system. And she'll wake up even earlier to daven. So if, the, if she would normally daven, I don't know, at 7 o'clock, if the doctor said you need to eat at 6 o'clock, she would have to daven at 5 o'clock. So, so she, would, she started davening very early so she could eat early in the morning. And her father found out about this and said, no, 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 no. You're doing this wrong. The Torah says we have to have passion when we daven, when we pray, when we do mitzvahs. It's better to eat in order to daven than daven just so you can eat. Powerful lesson in life is our physicality. Supporting our spiritual life or is our spiritual life obstructing our physical indulgence? This works all fine until we get to Yom Kippur. Right, exactly. <laughs> Ideally, physicality should support spirituality, should facilitate God, not obstruct it, and not vice versa. God shouldn't be the distraction. <laughs> let me get this prayer over so I can eat. It's let me eat. That will give me the energy to pray. That elevates the entire service. That elevates the, that, that service. That davening elevates the food. Elevates everything with it. Make sense? That's story number of, two. What? I have a lot of elevated coffee in my house. Okay. I have a lot of elevated Diet Coke and Diet Pepsi. <laughs> For sure. That's part of it. That coffee becomes holy because if, if it's giving you energy to daven, now it's bringing God's will into, um, into it. 
Story number three. This is a great story. There was a group of Hasidim, and they were having a Fabrengen. A little informal Hasidic gathering of singing, sharing insights, sharing stories, trying to build this, um, this vibe of warmth, of Hasidic energy, right? A Fabrengen is an incredible thing because it's an opportunity to take the Hasidus that we learn, to take the Tanya that we learn, to take the Torah that we learn, and actually um, internalize it together as a group and really talk about the meaning of life. A lot of good things come out of this. It's important. It's important to come together with friends and for brain. There is a group of Hasidim for bringing together. And one of them, and they were starting to get hungry. A good for bringing goes very late at night <laughs> or early in the morning, I should say. If it's very good, if you're into it. And they were getting hungry. And this is in the old country. This is back in the shtetl. One of them said, I have an idea. I have a goat at home. I'll shecht the goat. Let me quickly ritually slaughter the goat, throw it on the grill, we'll serve it. Quickly prepares the goat, slaughters it, throws it on the, on the grill. And they eat, they're sustained, they continue the fabrengen. They continue internalizing the Hasidic messages that they've been trying to learn and pray with. The next morning, he wakes up and his wife says, um, Honey, have you seen the goat? Yeah, the goat's here. No, it's not. No, no, yeah, it is. <laughs> the goat is gone. Somebody took our goat. Nope, the goat's here. What do you mean the goat's here? I don't see it. So he says, the goat is here. It used to say, but now it says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Here, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. The goat is still here. It just has a different function. Before it was acting as an animal, making noises. And now it's been internalized and it's helping people pray. It's still very much present in a holy form. Needless to say, that didn't satisfy her and he was on the couch. Then. No, I'm kidding. But... <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I crack myself up sometimes and it's all, it's all good. Um, you crack us up too, Raj. Okay, good. <laughs> but the, the point is, <laughs> whew, the point is that we have the ability to elevate every, almost everything in our world as long as it's not prohibited by Jewish law. We have the ability to elevate it and bring God's vision of humanity to fruition. Did I pronounce that right? Bring it to reality. We, every divine thing we do and every physical thing we incorporate in our divine service, piece by piece makes this world a better place because it incorporates God's will in everything which is what God wants. He wants to be comfortable in this world. 
right? He doesn't just want that professional God servant relationship. He really wants to be comfortable in this world. And every mitzvah we do polishes the entire physical process that it takes to go with it. Any questions, comments, thoughts, controversy? Okay, we'll conclude with one more line here. Let's take a look on page 416. This is important. And through this, the entire global force of Klipas Noga will eventually be elevated too, which is the foundational energy of the physical material world. When we do a mitzvah, it literally has an impact on the entire world. Somebody once asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe, how many, you know, Rebbe, if you compare the amount of Jews doing mitzvahs to the amount of people on this world indulging and not doing mitzvahs, how do you expect the world to actually be refined? So he said, well, look at it, look at it this way. You're walking to the Beit Midrash, to the house of study, to the shul, to daven, to pray, to learn Torah, to do a mitzvah. And it's cold outside. You need your coat to get there. Without your coat, you're not going. Okay? Who produced that coat? There's an entire factory producing coats. There's an entire factory producing the plastic buttons. There's an entire factory of tailors and seamstresses putting together that coat. All of that is part of the process. It is elevated and dragging that process of you going to the house of study to study Torah, of going to shul. Your shoes are now elevated. The cobbler, everything. Though when we do a mitzvah, we drag along so much with us we don't even know. Think about it. How much goodness are we drag? How much of the world are we dragging into our goodness when we do a mitzvah? And you drop a coin in the charity box. Who made the charity box? Who minted the coin? Right? It's not just the physical coin itself. It's not just our hands. But who, who gave me the, the occupation, the job, so I can afford that coin? There's so much being elevated when we do a mitzvah. The Baal Shem Tov once said, around the, in, in, not too long ago before the, in the Baal Shem Tov's era, the Baal Shem Tov lived about 300 years ago. In the Baal Shem Tov's era, there was two nations, and I don't have the details to this story, so I apologize, but there were two nations that were fighting for seven years. They were at war for seven years. And the Baal Shem Tov said, you know what the purpose of that war was? This is interesting. He said, at that war, they were sounding trumpets, Right, their marching band. It's an important part of of war is how good of a musician your team is. Right, it's like color war. Some right armies have have a a whole a whole band. And there was a tzaddik, a righteous person, who composed the nigun, a heartfelt song to inspire Jews. And his nigun was inspired by those war marches. The whole purpose of that war was so he could have that nigun to inspire Jews. 
that entire war is elevated. It's people killing each other. It's worth it, man. No, I'm kidding. But they. <laughs> oh, okay. you are funny tonight, huh? <laughs> that entire war has become elevated in the process. If there's one thing we walk away with tonight, when we do a mitzvah, don't underestimate its power, the weight that it has. To elevate you, to elevate it, to elevate our surroundings, because there's so much that goes into it. There's so much that went into the production of the cell phone or computer that we're using, the, the, the digital programming that we're using, internet at large, Zoom in particular. There's so much, and all of this is being elevated. And um, Mike, I think this answers your question from last week. How can we, with one mitzvah, change the world? I'm here. I'm having a sneezing fit. Sorry. No worries. We want to say bless you over and over and over. I'm, I'm on number 11 now. Ay, oh, ay, ay. No fun. No fun. But how can one mitzvah possibly elevate the entire world? How can we pervade the world with light if we're so few? One mitzvah, there's so much that goes into it. And it brings, it, it drags so much into the wing of holiness. Just don't underestimate its power. Well, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> 